This is the Andrew Lake Podcast, and today we're talking about the mechanics of arguments. I sincerely hope you enjoy. Well, here we are, yet again, for another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Still recovering from a bit of a cold. Don't know if you can hear that. Probably shouldn't say anything, as you probably wouldn't notice anyway, right? So, today's topic, today's conversation, is about arguments. And also, more broadly speaking, about interactions, conversations, debates and everything that we can put in this broad, general category of arguments or interactions. So, what we want to lay out is the three fundamental pillars. And if you can understand these pillars, you can easily debate someone, you can easily understand who is winning in a debate and why, and you can easily navigate your human interactions much better if you can identify these three pillars. We're making it simple. We're trying to reduce it down to the core principles because we want that to be something easy to remember. We want it to be something that you can understand both simply and in complexity. And we want you to be able to use this blueprint to put onto any conversation that you might hear. So you might hear two people arguing of something or having a conversation of something. You might be watching a debate or a conversation on the internet. And you might have a conversation or an argument with someone yourself. You might have this on a personal level. So if we can really solidify this blueprint and you can start to bring it into your thought processes when you're listening and when you're talking, then I really think you can get a good handle on the basis of all arguments, of all interactions. So here it is, without further ado, we've got three things, or three levels. So I like to call these levels because they all depend on one another. They start from the foundation up. There's three levels to all arguments. One level is the emotional level. The next level is the rational level. And then the next level is the comparative level. Now, when I use this word levels, don't get your knickers in a knot about one is better than the other, because they're not. All levels are equally important and they are all nested on one another. So if I say that emotional, is at the bottom level, that doesn't mean it's the most basic. It actually means that it's the most foundational because all the following levels have that base level. So this is very similar to what we talk about in spiral dynamics when we're talking about psychological maps of civilization and humanity. That's a a broad, huge, complex system that we can use 
or that uses sorts of levels or waves of development. But here we're sort of taking that principle of levels and we're just applying it to something a bit more simple, a bit more easy to digest, something a little bit more like easy to wrap your head around. So at the bottom level, we've got the emotional. And then on top of that, we've got the rational. And then on top of the rational, we've got the comparative. So in a nutshell, emotions are your feelings. It's your passions. It's your way of talking in terms of empathy and with pathos. Very cathartic. And it can be positive emotions. It can be negative emotions. They can be subtle emotions or they can be powerful emotions. Every argument, every conversation is nested within some sort of emotion. Now, sometimes we say someone is emotional when they're using or they're expressing erratic emotions. This is not necessarily the case because the emotion of disinterest or apathy or boredom or any of these sorts of emotions can sometimes come across as quite bland, quite... You might just be standing there with a poker face, not really saying anything or being very animative with your words. That doesn't mean you're not feeling an emotion. So emotion is the basis for all arguments in human interactions. Once we establish a strong emotional base, we have the rational level. So the rational level still contains the emotional level. It still has the emotional level. It's just a little bit more complex. It's an addition to the emotional level. And basically, the rational level is putting forth an idea and then coming up with reasons why it could be wrong, why it could be right, entertaining reasons which might prove it wrong and yet proving them wrong, or it might be coming up with new propositions and adjusting your proposition depending on the information that comes in. So when someone is rational and they're conscious of it, they usually say things like, oh, I change my beliefs or my attitudes depending on the information that is given to me. I change my arguments depending on how many different pieces of information come my way and which is the best information. So I use the best information and I discard the wrong information. I use the facts and discard the, the distruths or the falsities. So there's a very big right and wrong mechanism in the rational way of thinking. And rationality is like a process. It's a web. It's a never-ending never changing sort of thing which can be plugged into more information and more different parameters and different pros and cons and different things that can prove things or disprove things. So rationality is just one process. And that's our second level on this three-level picture of arguments. At the top level, we have comparative, the comparisons. So comparative arguing is nested in the rational arguing which is also nested in the emotional arguing. So comparative arguing still has an emotional component to it. It still has a rational component to it, but it's distinctly different from the two themselves. Comparative arguing 
works different to the rational arguing in that the comparative arguing will explain an entire string of rationalities and then explain a comparative string of rationality arguments. So the comparative argument says, okay, so here's our proposition and here are all the different rational points that are going around it, the reasons that it's either true or false going around it. And then here's another point. And here are all the reasons and the rationales and the truths and untruths and the rights and the wrongs of that. And let's put them both together. Let's compare the two. I often like to say that when we talk about kinds of thinking, we can talk about linear thinking, which is like a string, and then rational thinking, which is like a web, so your spider web. Comparative thinking or arguing would be comparing two entire webs. If you are truly a comparative speaker or thinker, then you should be able to use the processes of rationality with dexterity. You'll be able to prove things in different ways. So we might even say that, okay, so is this proposition true or is it not? A comparative argument would say, well, if we use these reasons, X, Y, Z, then it is true. And if we use these reasons, A, B, C, it is not true. And we can say that there's a whole complex web in either of those two sides. And there might even be a third side. So comparative talking, comparative thinking, comparative arguing is not only just one with the other. It might be multiple processes. So what happens when, well, first of all, let me say that people operate from different centers. They have different levels of argument that predominantly come through. Now, everyone has all three levels within them. Everyone has emotional arguments, everyone has rational arguments, and everyone has comparative arguments. And they all come out at different times. They all come out in different ways. Some people more than others, depending on the situation, depending on their level of development, and depending on their knowledge. So what happens when two emotional people have an argument. In that situation, the one with the strongest emotions will win. Now, in every argument, there is a weight or there, are, there is a pressure from emotion from either side. There is always a force of emotion in any conversation or argument. Now, when two people are operating predominantly from the emotional centers, and they don't have very well-developed rational and comparative ways of thinking and talking, they're going to be mostly emotional. So this would be the husband and wife that are, you know, throwing the dishes at each other and just screaming and yelling and shouting and becoming very hysterical. In that situation, the person who is the most emotional will win that argument. They will dominate the other and usually domination in that sort of argument is not a one or the other. It's only a slight tipping point. And there's a very big amount of tension between the two. The same thing occurs in the rational levels of argument. So if you have two people who are very rational, you'll find that they keep, they keep going around in circles. They keep 
sort of ending up talking past each other. They keep sort of having more and more reasons on either side, but they don't really overpower one another. They don't really overcome one another. It's very hard for someone who's very rational to overcome someone who is also very rational in an argument or a debate. And then when you get to the comparative level of development, there's actually less of a, there's less of a tension there. There's more of an understanding. In fact, through all these levels, we can say that the lower down the level is the more tension and conflict there is. And the higher up you go, the more shared understanding there is. And it is quite common for people who do comparative arguments to be accused of not having a stance. So this is something that the emotional and the rational people might say to someone who is comparative if they don't understand the comparative side of things. So for example, they might say, look, you've explained this and you've explained that and you can understand this and I can see that you can understand that, but what do you believe? What do you really believe? Which side are you taking? Which one do you say is true? So this is a rational person speaking to a comparative person. And if the comparative person sticks to their game, they'll say, well, I don't really need to say that I believe each one. I'm outside of this idea of a strong belief or being emotionally invested in each one because I can see how both have their utility. Both are right. Both have their sort of different reasons and emotions surrounding them. And I don't feel too strongly about each one. So comparative people are a little bit elusive to the emotional and the rational people. This was said of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a famous intellectual and astrophysicist who's often in the public sphere commenting on science and sometimes on religion and um, on popular culture and things like that. And he's very comparative in the way that he talks about things. He can decide to talk about one side of reasoning, another line of reasoning, and put the two together and not really say that one is definitely better or worse than the other. He doesn't have a lot of tension within himself with his ideas about how they conflict with each other. He's much more about having them flow together. And he has been often accused of not taking a side. For example, people ask him if he believes in God, and often his answer is seen as a getting out the back door or sort of sweeping it under the rug sort of answer, because he doesn't give a definite yes or no. But this is just rational people and emotional people demanding that comparative people answer the question in their level, and the comparative people just don't buy it. They just don't speak down to them. So, when we have two people who are on the same level talking to one another, then there's not really a clear, definite winning of the argument or the debate. But what happens when someone is emotional and they're arguing with someone who is rational? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because usually what happens is the more complex system can outmaneuver the less complex system. So as we go up our levels, it becomes more complex. But this we need to be careful with because it does depend on the situation. 
So don't take these as final because in some situations, emotional arguing does beat all others. It does depend on, well, first, first of all, I think we have to define what we mean by winning an argument. So this is very hard to do. This is very difficult to pin down. We can say, have you swayed an audience? Have you swayed their opinion? Have you got the outcome of the argument that you wanted? Have you got the impressing of power onto the other person that you wanted? There's all sorts of different definitions that we can say about what it means to win an argument. But I guess our working definition can just be the dominance of what is between worldviews, between the two opinions of the two people. So if an emotional person is arguing with a rational person, then the rational person will have these reasons and the emotional person will be struggling to keep up and they'll be struggling to see their point of view, but in the end, they'll have to agree with them. They'll be drawn up to the emotional stage and they might not feel very good about it. They might feel very upset about it, but in the end, the rational person will end up winning and then the emotional person might end up going, well, I feel really bad about it and I don't understand how... It is that they've come up on top of that debate, but that is how it seems to have turned out, and they can be a little bit confused. The same goes for someone who is rational, who is arguing with someone who is comparative. So the comparative person will explain the rational process to them in more clear terms, and the rational person will end up having to agree with them. And they'll end up having to go along with them. But they won't be able to sit well with how it goes along and how the outcome of the conversation has happened. Because it will be a different way of processing information to the rational person as to the comparative person that has happened. We also have the emotional person arguing with the comparative person. So, so far we've been talking about people arguing on the same level, and then people arguing with the level above them or one below them. We also have people who argue across more levels, multiple levels. And this is where argument and conversation really completely breaks down because a comparative person needs time to explain their rational processes and their nuances and their complexities. It takes time to takes time to lay out their argument, to illustrate the picture, to demonstrate with examples. And usually the emotional people don't have time for that. They are too passionate. They're too short-sighted. So the comparative argument has a very big amount of restriction on it because it takes time to do it. There needs to be a certain amount of space to it. So if you're having a short conversation or if you're just having a quick, whatever, well, whatever platform you're on, the amount of time you have to lay out your ideas restricts you as to how you can explain your information or your truth or your version of events or whatever it is. So when an emotional person is arguing with a comparative person, there's usually no way that the emotional person can really understand fully what's going on. And if the 
situation dictates that there's not enough time for the comparative person to make their argument, then the emotional person will win. If you only have a short amount of time, then you can become really emotional and have a big effect. And that's how you have an effect on people. So the rational and the comparative levels of argument do have an emotional component. But when you're in a short time frame and you want to make a big impact, the quickest way to do that is with emotion. When you see advertisements on TV, what you'll find is they're not laying out a story for you. They're not showing you the different pros and the cons. They're not showing you the evidence of the truth. They're not doing any of that. All they're doing is hitting straight towards your emotion. They've got a brand name or they've got a product, and then they've got this powerful emotion. Usually it's something that's very deep. It might be like a sex emotion or a existential emotion or a status anxiety emotion. And then they'll put that right into your face and then they'll put their brand right next to it for the quickest impact possible. And this is what drives basically all advertising. It's the emotional center. When you get into intellectual realms and public debate and public policy, then you're moving into the rational center. Then you're moving into spheres where you have long-form conversations or you have essays or you have long-form debates or public debates that take more time. So the rational world has a little bit more freedom to it and you can actually have your emotions working against you because you can say, well, hmm, you're becoming emotional, so you're not rational. So that should not be a reason for us to take you seriously. And that can actually become an argument of the rational side. And conversely, someone can say, well, you're rational, but you are also emotional. So you, do, you don't acknowledge your emotional side, which means your rational side is undermined when really we all, we all have both emotional and rational within us. So this is, well, what's happening here is there's reductionism. So when you reduce someone to one of these three levels, emotional, rational, and comparative, then you're putting them in a box and you're making them a target that can be taken down. You can, you're telling them there's something that can be destroyed. If you can define something, then you can easily break it. And that's really what's going on in intellectual debate and public debate. People are trying to really define what it is that they are, their processes of thought that they use, and then undermining that. So we can say that emotion is not a valid way of arguing with someone. And we can even say that rationality has its limits and it's not able to fully fulfill our arguments or our conversations and we can say well let's all be comparative but comparative still has the previous two the comparative thinker still has an emotional component and a, and a really good comparative arguer or debater knows when to employ their emotion in a really subtle way and still use it to their advantage and of course, to be comparative, you have to be rational as well. If you find yourself listening to a debate and it seems like one side is completely dominating the other, then it's most likely that there are people on either side of the debate 
which are at different levels of these three levels of arguments. If you're having a debate and you're finding that the tides are even or it's about tide, then you'll probably find that there's people at the same level Especially if you're finding it interesting. If you're interested, they're probably at the same level of, as you. The sorts, of de- the sorts of debates that you find interesting are a reflection of your own understanding of these levels of arguing. So I hope I've laid out enough of a picture of what it means to be emotional, what it means to be rational, and what it means to be comparative. And next time you hear someone speaking, You can put them into these different categories, but also don't reduce them to those categories because remember they have parts of them that are at all levels. So keep that in mind. What sort of conversation is this one? Maybe it's a comparative one. It is a little bit emotional as well. Hopefully I've been rational enough. Have I been emotional enough? Maybe not quite enough. (laughs) So that is our blueprint or our mechanics of all arguments explained. Thanks very much for tuning in and we'll be back soon with more. Have a beautiful day.